Good morning, everybody. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, going through the book of Philippians, and, and we're continuing to do that this morning as we continue our series called Unexpected Joy. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about unity and, and the need for us as a group to strive for unity, right? Strive for unity in the church, and if we do that, that'll bring us some joy. Paul says, treat others better than yourself. That'll bring some joy. Joy comes when you and I, when we sacrifice, when we live a selfless life, when we begin to serve, that brings some joy. And joy comes by taking the road of humility. And the byproduct of that ends up being that God exalts the humble. He exalts the humble. And then last week we were reading in chapter 2 of Philippians where it said, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And we learned that what that meant was do all things without grumbling and complaining. Like that's, that's what we learned. And he says if you do all things without grumbling, if you do all things without muttering under your breath, if you do all things without complaining, you will shine as lights in this dark world. And we said that even though Paul is describing the people of his time as this wicked, evil, bent, depraved, perverse generation, we, we said that our world is so much worse than that. And so how do we glow in the dark? Now Paul tells us you glow in the dark by holding fast to the word of life, right? By holding tightly to the Word of God, and also by holding out the Word of God for the world to see the light. And this morning, we continue our series called Unexpected Joy. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And if you have a blue pew Bible, it's on page 186 page 186. This is what it says. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul, he, he begins this chapter by repeating the theme of joy, by encouraging the people in, in uh, the church at Philippi, he, he just says, hey, guys, rejoice, right? Paul, who is in prison, he's suffering in prison. He's unsure about his future, right? He doesn't know if Caesar is going to say, yeah, let him live or off with his head. He, he encourages his friends to rejoice. There's a lot of people who your joy is challenged by circumstance, and maybe your joy is challenged by people or everyday problems or overwork or sin or doubt or pain or grief. And if these things are stealing your joy, then you have a major problem. Here, here's Paul. 
and he has every reason not to be joyful. But Paul didn't let his circumstance discourage him, right? He didn't let people steal his joy. He didn't let pain steal his joy. He didn't let suffering steal his joy. There's a lot of people, when life goes well for them, man, they feel elated. They feel, they feel great. But when the hard times come, when difficulties come, when problems come, they begin to sink into depression. But rejoicing in the Lord helps us rise above the waves of our circumstance. So rejoice in the Lord. And I'm sure there's some people here today, and you might be thinking, but man, you, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my family is going through right now. There, there is nothing for me to rejoice about. And you might be right. But I want to tell you this morning that whatever you are dealing with today, rejoice in the Lord. Paul is saying, look, on the outside, it looks really bad for me. And guess what? You're going to go through the same things that I'm dealing with, some of the same hardships, some of the persecution, the pain and the suffering that I'm facing because of your faith in Jesus. But you need to know that whatever you are dealing with, you can always, always rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstance. He's not asking you to rejoice because of your circumstance. He's not asking you to rejoice because of your situations. He's not saying rejoice because of the problems that are facing you right now. He's saying rejoice because of Jesus. He's saying rejoice because of who Jesus is. As we go through life, sometimes we forget, don't we? And we need to remind ourselves who this Jesus really is. See, Jesus, if you remember, he is our wonderful counselor. This Jesus, he is our great shepherd. This Jesus, he is our prince of peace. He is the lover of our soul. See, you can always rejoice because of who Jesus is. And you can also rejoice because what he has done. In chapter 2, we, we read a couple weeks ago, we, he, he humbled himself to the point of death on a criminal's cross all for you. All for you. Rejoice because what he has done. See, he has set us free from sin and death. Rejoice because he has saved you from the fiery pit of hell. Don't tell me this morning that you don't have a reason to rejoice because your issues are never going to outweigh who Jesus is and what he has done for us. See, joy comes from being in the Lord. True joy comes from this consistent communion with Jesus, this consistent developing of my relationship 
with Jesus. See, when your life is intertwined with Jesus, you will always have a reason to rejoice. Even when things don't look good for you right now. Even when there isn't enough money for the month. Even when things don't go the way that you expected. If you would just take the time to be with Jesus, you will always find a reason to rejoice in the Lord. You know, knowing Jesus brings us joy. Knowing him brings us joy. Not everyone will be able to rejoice in the Lord because not everybody knows this Jesus. You know, if you don't know the love of Jesus, if you have never experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus in your life, if you don't have this relationship with him that you continue to develop, how can you rejoice in the highs? I mean, how can you really rejoice in the lows of life? But for those of you who intimately know Jesus, Paul is actually giving a command and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. And the statement is actually better translated, be continually rejoicing. Which means that joy has less to do with what's going on in your life. And it has a lot more to do with what's happening with you on the inside. So the question that I want to ask you today is, what's going on inside of you? I mean, what is your relationship with Jesus really like? If you want joy in your life, then you need to cultivate your relationship with Jesus. If you want to be joyful, then remind yourself of who Jesus is. If you want to have joy in your life, then remind yourself of Jesus' great love for you. Let's read the second part of verse 1. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. The Living Bible puts it this way. It says, I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it again and again. You know, every good teacher knows the importance of repetition. Right? Every good teacher knows the importance of of repetition. The three of you who got that. Every good athlete knows the importance of repetition, right? Steph Curry, he, he doesn't make as many shots as he does on the court uh, just because he walks on the court. He takes hundreds of shots a day all in the same spots, Hundreds of shots a day. And there's a reason for that. There's muscle memory that develops during repetition and practice 
So during game time, your muscles know what to do. Here's the other thing we learned from Paul. Rejoicing isn't just this automatic response. It's this choice that you have to make. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. You remember when David was being chased by Saul, and he's very discouraged. And David is very distraught. And uh, here he is, and and David thinks that he's going to lose his life. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says, then David encouraged himself in the Lord. And Paul is telling us, rejoice in the Lord. Not in your circumstance. Not in other people. Not in stuff. And if you do that, then joy will be a a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus. This morning, there are some of you who are here today and Man, you're looking for joy in all the wrong places. Are you looking for joy to come through material things, through your stuff? There are some people, they go after a new house because they think that the house is going to bring them joy. There are some people who, who they, they go and uh, they get a new car and they think that the car is going to bring joy to them, or they go out and they buy new clothes thinking that that's going to make them feel better. But you know, stuff never lasts, right? Cars rust, and houses leak, and clothes go out of style, and little brothers kick soccer balls and they break TVs. So I heard that yesterday. Are you looking for joy to come through your stuff? There are other people who they look for joy to come through a relationship with somebody. And maybe it's just a friendship with somebody. But you need to know that people are always going to let you down. Joy only comes from rejoicing in the Lord. It means I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. It means I'm going to exalt his name in my quiet time. It means I'm going to learn more about him through the reading of the word. It means I'm going to talk to him about everything. And when all of that happens, no matter what comes into my life, I'm going to be positioned in such a way that I can rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord as a safeguard. Well, as a safeguard from what? Well, Paul is so interested in unity in all of these letters, and rejoicing in the Lord becomes a safeguard from disunity in the church. If you can rejoice in the Lord, it becomes a safeguard from discouragement and from grumbling and from complaining. See, Paul knows that it is impossible for you to rejoice in the Lord and cause dissension or or break unity in the church. It's impossible. 
It's impossible for you to rejoice in the Lord and grumble and complain and treat others poorly. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to rejoice in the Lord and be selfish at the same time. But rejoicing in the Lord becomes this safeguard and this barrier against all of those terrible attitudes. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord as a safeguard, as a safeguard from your doubts, as a safeguard from your fears, from, as a safeguard from those feelings of hopelessness that sometimes come into your life. And so if you feel like you're losing hope, then there's a safeguard against that. Rejoice in the Lord. And if you feel like your spirits are low, then there's a safeguard for that. Rejoice in the Lord. And if you feel discouraged or or depressed or weary, if you feel like you're in despair, then there's a safeguard for that. Rejoice in the Lord. And what you and I need to do is we need to declare where your faith lies. You need to declare where your hope rests. You need to declare where your joy comes from. And so you need to declare that God has come. You need to declare that Jesus is alive and that your Savior is coming back for you. That's rejoicing in the Lord. And so if you know Jesus and you're going through this tough time and you're going through a difficult time, then you need to do what we just did in this song. You need to declare that I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of the Most High God. So rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice in the Lord as a safeguard. Verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. You know, Paul, Paul, he uses this word, beware, three times. And he's getting really serious, and he's using some strong language. He's saying, hey, listen, you got to look out. He's saying, I'm warning you about something really severe here. There are some people that you need to watch out for. Paul's warning is this, beware of evil workers. That's what he says. Those who purposely do evil against the church, beware of those people. Beware of those people who seek to destroy the unity of this church. Beware of them. He says, beware of the dogs and the false circumcision. And what Paul is really saying is he's saying, you need to be in a position where you know how to reject bad theology. See, in Paul's day, there was this great lie that came from this group of people who we call the Judaizers. And they would say, hey, listen, it's really great that you believe in Jesus, but faithful followers of God have always been Jews. And so you need to convert to Judaism, which means that you need to obey everything that Moses has said in the law. 
And the Judaizers said, if you follow Jesus, then you need to look a certain way. You need to follow a certain set of rules. And that's the only way that this works. And the problem is that all of their efforts were never going to bring them closer to God. Never. And these people, they, they looked at following Jesus all wrong. They looked for things that you needed to do to earn the forgiveness of sins. They looked for things that you had to say to get entrance into heaven. They, they thought that they had to look a certain way, behave a certain way to be known as a follower and a true follower of God. See, people were mixing their own views with the teaching of Jesus. And so I want to tell you today that there are modern-day evildoers that you need to be aware of. There are people who want nothing more than to see the church destroyed. And you need to be aware of them. There are also modern-day Judaizers in our world today. People who are incredibly legalistic. People who think that you need to look a certain way, right? People who think that you need to act a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. You need to do all of those things first, and then you can accept Jesus into your life. Or sometimes the notion kind of creeps into our own minds, into our own heads. You know what? That person or that friend or that, that family member, man, they would never accept Jesus. I mean, just look at them, right? Just listen to the words that come out of their mouth. Those, those people, they would never accept Jesus. Let me look at how they act. Look at the things that they're involved in. They would never accept Jesus. And so it hinders us from even, even presenting the gospel to them. Legalists think, you know, I'm going to try hard. I'm, I'm going to do all of these really good things. I'm going to earn my way. Paul says they're evildoers. Because you're actually saying that the work on the cross by Jesus wasn't enough. So I need to add some more stuff. I need to do some more things. I need to make penance for all the stuff that I've done wrong. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do good works because good, wor good works is a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. But Paul is saying, listen, you, you have to be aware or beware of, beware of bad theology. There's a lot of people here this morning who would say, I don't even know what theology is, right? I mean, it's, it is the study of the nature of God. Beware of bad and false teaching that is contrary to this book. I want to tell you that there's a lot of books being written these days. There's a lot of books by some Christian authors, and a lot of them have some garbage theology. Some of them are disguised as Christian self-help books. That doesn't even make sense. You cannot will your way to accomplish something for God. 
In fact, Scripture talks about the depravity of man. That, and it says, you can do nothing apart from God. And what Scripture tells us and encourages us with is, it says, complete surrender is where your strength comes from. Beware of false teaching. Beware of bad theology. There's this theology out there that says health and wealth and prosperity, they are all yours. That BMW, you just got to name it and claim it, right? That is garbage theology. Because the problem is, is if you don't have those things, if you don't have health and you don't have wealth and you don't have prosperity, what those teachers say is that it's because you're living in sin. And that's just bad theology, isn't it? In fact, in our text that we read a couple of weeks ago, it said, be like Jesus who humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And I don't know about you, but that sounds painful to me. Scripture says, blessed are the poor. Scripture says, take up your cross. Those are not roads of health and wealth sometimes. And any other thing is just bad theology. So how can you tell what bad theology is? What you and I, what we need to do is, we need to learn how to go mining. Right? We need to learn how to take the text and go digging for gold. We need to learn how to take the Scripture and start digging in deep into the Word of God. You don't need a Bible college degree. You don't need to be a teacher or a preacher. You don't need to be a leader in Glad Tidings Church. You just need to be somebody who is hungry enough to know more about this Jesus. You need to be somebody who's hungry enough, who, who would take the time to go mining for gold in his word. And what we need to do is we need to learn how to align what we hear with what's in the scripture. And if it aligns, we say amen. And if it doesn't, we say it's bad theology. Paul says, beware evil workers, those who want to cause harm to your faith. Beware false teachers. Beware bad theology. And if you could do that, that'll bring joy into your life. And I'll close with verse 3, and I'm going to ask Tim if you would come. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying that, you know what, there is nothing on the outside that matters. 
it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what nationality yours is. It doesn't matter what language you have. None of those things matters. But this is what a true believer looks like. A true believer is set apart. That's a true believer. A true believer worships Jesus by the Spirit. Meaning that this isn't just some ritual for you. Worship isn't just this outward show. It's real. And it's authentic. The inward person is what's important here. Not the outward show. It's, it's the inward person. See, anyone can go through the motions. Anyone can say, I'm a Christian and I have a Bible and I know all of these songs. I mean, I get together with other people once a week who believe the same things that I do. But a true believer worships God in spirit and in truth. Do you worship by the Spirit? Do you worship by the Spirit or do you worship by the traditions of man? Do you worship because someone told you to? Or do you worship out of your relationship with Jesus? The question isn't, do you stand and worship? And do you sit when you worship? Or do you sway when you worship? I mean, the question is, is do you worship? I mean, is it real for you? Is it authentic for you? Or are you just going through the motions. Lastly, we are true believers because we have no confidence in the flesh. We are true believers because we have no confidence in the flesh. We depend totally on Jesus. A true follower of Jesus doesn't put their hope in the things of this world, right? A true follower of Jesus doesn't put their hope in their education. A true follower of Jesus doesn't put their hope in their bank account. They don't put their hope in any other person, in any other thing, but a true follower of Jesus puts their hope and puts their trust and puts their confidence in Jesus, Does that describe you this morning? That you put your full confidence in Him. I mean, when things are going bad for you, you put your confidence in your education because that's what's going to get you out of this problem. When things aren't going well for you, do you put your confidence in your bank account because maybe those funds are going to get you out of this predicament? Or do you put your hope in the Lord? Do you put your confidence in the Lord? Do, do you put your trust in the Lord? You know, the legalist says you need to look a certain way. 
You need to work your way to forgiveness. You have to keep up all of these traditions to look the part. But that's not what our message is, is it? Our message is this. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he has washed me white as snow. That's what brings us joy. That's what brings us confidence in him. We don't put our confidence in the flesh. You know, you know that Christianity is the only religion where God comes to man to redeem him. Every other belief system is man trying to earn something from God. But Jesus says, he says, listen, I, I came down to this world and I came that you would have life and that you would have life abundantly. That you would have joy to the fullest. So this morning, I want to ask you something. Are you saved? I mean, are you, are you truly saved? And if you say you are, are you working out your salvation? Are you living with joy to the fullest? Some of you might say, well, listen, I, I, I come to church. I know all of the songs. I said that prayer at the end of the service, and I was baptized that one time. And all of those are good things. But those are just outward signs. These are just outward signs of what needs to be going on on the inside. And so maybe the better question I need to ask you this morning is this. Are you in love? Are you madly in love with Jesus? People who worship in spirit and truth, they show that they are madly in love with Jesus. People who worship in spirit are, are people who can care less about who's around them. People who worship in the Spirit are people who can care less about what song we sing. They know that it's not even about the song. People who worship in Spirit are, are, are people who can care less whether we are in church or in my neighborhood, in my car, in my house. They can care less about what time of day it is. They will passionately express their worship to the Jesus who they love in everything that they do. I want you to know this morning that you don't need to change your behavior. You don't need to change first in order to earn Jesus' acceptance, in order to get Jesus' forgiveness. All you got to do is just talk to him. All you got to do is take your burdens to him and take your anxieties to him and ask him for forgiveness. And that's when transformation happens. 
Transformation isn't supposed to happen from the outside in. It's supposed to happen from the inside and then the out. You know, when you seek him privately, outward changes happen. Genuine worship will happen when you seek him in private. And the changes that need to develop in your behavior will happen only when you seek him in private. When you begin to worship the Lord in spirit and truth and when you begin to experience the genuine presence of God in your daily lives, what happens is your heart begins to break for the things that break his heart. I'll close with this. Did you know that heart transplant recipients, a lot of them speak of this second chance of life that they've been given. And interestingly enough, they, they, they talk about new habits that they form. And all of a sudden, they get these new cravings and they get these new desires and these new passions And many of them say that they feel that they have this responsibility to live their life in such a way that it would bring honor to the one who donated to them. And this is the way it is with us and with God. See, when you give your heart to Jesus, Jesus gives you his heart. And this new heart that you have gives you this new appreciation for life. And you get these new habits and these new cravings and these new desires and these new passions. And there's this new sense of bringing honor to the donor. So have you given your heart to Jesus? I mean, not just some of it. Have you given all of your heart to him? I promise you this. If you give your heart to him, He will give you his heart, and your life will never be the same again. These patients, they they talk about this new appreciation for life that they have. And I want to tell you that when you give your heart to Jesus, and he performs that heart transplant, and you receive His, you'll begin to feel what Jesus feels. And the compassion and the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus showed for us on the cross will now become this driving force for your life. And as you experience his presence by worshiping him in spirit and in truth, by seeking him in private, He will begin to challenge you. He will begin to open up your eyes. He will lead you to new places. And he will speak intimately to you. Let's pray together this morning. I'm going to ask the prayer team if you would come forward this time with our eyes closed and with our heads bowed. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus if you've never done that before. 
If you've never given your heart to Jesus and want to experience genuine joy, it only comes from a life given to Jesus. There are some people here this morning who maybe you gave your heart to Jesus some time back, but maybe you didn't give all of your heart to him. Or maybe you gave him your heart and you took it back. And if that's you this morning, this is your opportunity to come to the Lord and to give him your heart. And you can just pray this prayer where you're sitting right now. And you can just say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I know that I am a sinner. Forgive me of all of my wrongdoings. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you paid for my sins. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And so now, Lord, I turn away from my sin. I leave my past behind. And I turn to Jesus as my Savior, as my friend, and as my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.